Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to verse 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let us come before God and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this faithful gospel account of Mark. We do thank you for what you have been teaching us so far in the Gospel of Mark. We thank you that even during this lockdown, we can still continue exploring this wonderful book of Mark. We do thank you that it may be named the book of Mark, but it is your book. You are the inspiration. You are the source. These are the divine words. These are your words, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can open this gospel and know that we are hearing you, Lord, speak to us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see clearly your word. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts now to receive this word so that we may see the glory of Christ, so that we would turn from living for ourselves and living only for you alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all that you have done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have titled the sermon this morning, The Company of Jesus. The Company of Jesus. The question we are asking is, throughout, as we've been exploring uh, this account in Gethsemane, is this. What does the experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane teach us about our relationship with God and with one another? 
This is the question we are asking. And we, 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 we are continuing today to ask this question. We began answering that question two Sundays ago. In the first message, we learned that Gethsemane teaches us that Jesus is God who has come to suffer emotionally as one of us and for us. In the second message, we learned that Gethsemane teaches us that the perfect obedience of Jesus saves us from our eternal disobedience against God. So those are the two things we've learned so far about Gethsemane. The emotional suffering of Jesus and the perfect obedience of Jesus. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a third aspect of Gethsemane. And that is the aloneness of Jesus. I want to talk to you about how Jesus suffered alone in Gethsemane. And what this means for our daily experience of aloneness or loneliness. So please look with me there at Mark 14, uh, verse 32 to verse 42. We're just going to walk through these verses again as we have done over the last two Sundays. But focusing especially on this element, the aloneness of Jesus. And the first thing we observe uh, in this passage, the first truth I want us to observe, I will take away from this passage, is this. Everyone needs company. Everyone needs fellowship. Everyone needs companionship. That's the first truth. Everyone needs company. Uh, it is a night before his crucifixion. Our Lord has come to Gethsemane with his disciples. This is the final moment before they are split up, before Jesus is arrested, before he's tried, and before he's put to death. And we read this in verse 32. And they, that is Jesus and the eleven disciples, Judas at this moment has fled, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. We should just pause there. These are familiar words. We are reading them for the third Sunday in a row. But I want to point out something that we haven't pointed out before. And that is the word and at the beginning of verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. The and is important because just before this, Jesus had just let the cat out of the bag that all of them are about to jump ship. All the disciples are about to abandon our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is aware of this. And if we're in his shoes, we'll just protect ourselves. If we're in Jesus' shoes, we'll just protect our feelings from being hurt further by these disciples, these unreliable and, frankly, unfriendly disciples. Uh, we'll just abandon these disciples at this moment. Uh, rather than even spend a long time with them. But our Lord Jesus is not like that. He loves his followers. And he loves us unconditionally. He knows that we need him. So Jesus is still with the disciples. He's still there ministering to them, even though he knows what they're about to do to him. Even though he knows that one of them has already, in fact, uh, is planning to betray him. So Jesus is sticking with them, but he's not only sticking with them because 
that they need him. Jesus has brought them along into the Garden of Gethsemane because he values their company. Jesus, though he's fully, though he's fully God, is also fully human, and he has enjoyed having his friends with him for the last three years. And so he has brought them with him into Gethsemane. And Mark in verse 32 actually reminds us of this aspect, that these are his disciples. Let's just read verse 32 and verse 33. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Now at this point, as we have noticed in our previous exploration of these verses, Jesus knows that he will soon be arrested and crucified. He knows that God is going to pour on him all the punishment, all the wrath that we deserve. We should be the ones suffering, but all of that wrath will be poured on Jesus. Our Lord Jesus is headed to the cross where he is going to be crushed for our sins. And as his death is approaching, the, the weight of the punishment for our sin that the Father is going to pour out on Jesus is weighing, the punishment of God is going to, God the Father is going to pour out on Jesus, is weighing heavily on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our Lord Jesus has come to Gethsemane to pray. Gethsemane is first of all about prayer. And he has come to pray. Let's read on verse 34 to verse 35. And he said to them, that is the disciples, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground, and prayed. As Jesus weeps in agony before God, his three friends are not far from where he is. We must remember that this is their eyewitness account. We are reading these words through the eyes of Peter. And the three friends there are watching God, the creator, the one who created them in tears. Jesus, God in human flesh, is opening up his life to them. He has let them in into his garden of tears. They can't carry his burden. The burden of the cross is Jesus and Jesus is alone to carry. But Jesus, he loves their company and he wants them to see his pain. And this is a point that Mark wants us to see, brothers and sisters. Mark wants us to see that though Jesus is fully God, he is fully man. And as a human being, Jesus needs human company. Everyone needs company. As the poet said, the poet John Donne, I think, says, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. All of us are descendants of Adam. All of us, the human race, really is just a brotherhood. God created us as one. 
God created us to live in community of love with each other. And this is why the greatest poverty in life is not lack of money. It is being unwanted by other human beings. We might even say most of the problems we experience in the world are a result, are as a result of that. That deeper poverty. That being unwanted by other human beings. We need to remember, and Gethsemane is reminding us, that everyone needs human company. We need to remember this truth and be reminded of it because this is a truth our society is only now being forced to remember. Before the lockdown, uh, popular culture, especially in the world of music and in the world of film, taught us you don't need anyone in life. We, we, we are familiar with songs that speak of people being as survivors or being conquerors. We are familiar with movies that really tries to portray the hero as somebody who just doesn't depend on anyone. I think of the Wolverine or John Wick. These characters, these larger-than-life characters, Superman, people who do not need anyone are people that our society tends to idolize. Because society, prior to the lockdown, I believed, really, we say that you don't need anyone in life. You just need you. You can be anything you want to be. Other people don't really matter fundamentally. Life is about you and your wishes. That's what society has been teaching us up to now. But COVID-19 has woken us up from that delusion. We have realized that the government is not enough. The government itself is pleading for society to help out. We are realizing we ourselves are not enough. We need other people in our lives. You have needs, brothers and sisters, that only other people can satisfy. Now, all of us know these things, but we forget. And the, the beauty, if you like, the blessing of COVID in all of its tragedy is that it has allowed society to Finally, remember this truth afresh. Now, as I said, all of us, including us who are followers of Jesus, know this already. But we need to be reminded of it because all of us are prone to forget that we are created to need human company. We forget that our children need us to spend time with them physically. Some of us, before COVID-19, we spent very little time with our children. But now we are realizing God is helping us to remember this truth, isn't it? That our children need us to spend time with them physically. It is not our money they need. They need our flesh and blood. You forget sometimes, you see, beloved, that your spouse needs you to be mentally and emotionally present. Your spouse wants you to enter in his world or our world, to be all there. We forget that. As we shall see in a moment with the disciples, uh, being physically present with people does not mean we are keeping company with them. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that people around us need us to be present, to be truly present 
with them. We forget that. We also forget that we need our brothers and sisters in the church to be spiritually present with us and us to be spiritually present with them. You see, no Christian has ever been called to go it alone. No one has ever been called to go it alone in his or our walk of faith. And so all of us must ask ourselves this morning, really, as we think about this need we have that the Lord Jesus is actually demonstrating for us in Gethsemane, this need we have for human company, we must ask ourselves, really, how are you doing in terms of spiritual company? Are you finding time during this lockdown to pick up the phone and pray with someone in the fellowship? Are you finding time to stay in touch through uh, Zoom meetings that we've got, through other things that we are trying to encourage people to do? Let me ask you a question. Who do you say you are closer to people spiritually now than before you entered the lockdown crisis? Who would you say you are closer to people spiritually now in the fellowship than before you entered the lockdown crisis? I think that's an important question for us to ask ourselves. And the reason why we need to ask ourselves that question is because, you see, we need to remember that no one backslides in an instant. It is a gradual process of being spiritually disconnected from Jesus and his people. That's what backsliding is. Backsliding is really just being gradually spiritually disconnected from Jesus and his people. And one of the sad things about the lockdown as I think about the life of our church is that there are many of us who are really struggling, who desperately need to stay in touch with brothers and sisters in the fellowship. And yet we are the very people that are struggling to stay in touch. And as a result, we now, many of us, most of us, well, I would say most of us, but some of us are perhaps finding ourselves increasingly backsliding. That's a thing for us to reflect and think about because we do not know how long we're going to remain in a lockdown situation. My brothers and sisters, you are not as strong as you think you are. I'm not as strong as I think I am. All of us need other people in our lives. We need human company. We need human company physically, spending time at home with our family. We need human company emotionally and mentally being present really in the moment with people around us. And we need human company spiritually to be with others in the fellowship. God has created us with those needs. But there is a bat. And this is an important bat. As good as human company is, it is not enough. So we must not put our full weight on it. We must not depend on human company as we go on through this coronavirus virus lockdown. And that is the second lesson we learn here. The first lesson our Lord Jesus, uh, we learn from this in Mark, is that everyone needs 
human company. But there is a but. And the but is this. Human company is not enough. Human company is not enough. That's our second point. Let's rejoin the account in Mark. So the disciples uh, who saw the luminous transfiguration on the mountain of transfiguration, who saw that wonderful sight, uh, perhaps a few months ago or a few weeks ago, they are now witnessing a dark transfiguration in Gethsemane. Because you see, in the shadows of the garden, they, they can hear Jesus shedding tears before God as his human will is being brought in subjection to his divine will. We explored that last week. Let's read verse 35 to verse 36. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus here is in deep agony. Now we expect his friends, these three friends, the disciples, to stay awake and pray, with and pray as Jesus has ordered them. But to our surprise, they decide to uh, they, they decide that this is perhaps a good time for them to catch up on some much-needed sleep. So they go to sleep. And Jesus comes back and finds them sleeping. Let's read verse 37 to verse 38. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples have fallen fast asleep. They have been caught with hand in the cookie jar, as it were. And, uh, and the, the sleep that the disciples are in, really, uh, in some sense symbolizes their unbelief. Because they have not only disobeyed the command of our Lord Jesus to pray, they are actually semi-unconscious. They are asleep, not in control of what's happening to them, unaware of Jesus now. They are as good as dead men. And I think it is instructive that when the Lord Jesus speaks, addresses Peter, he addresses him with his old name. He says, Peter, Simon. He says, Simon, are you asleep? It's almost like Jesus is pointing out that, look, you're behaving like your old self here. They are not loving the Lord. They have already abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after Jesus checks up on them, we are told, he returns to pray, he says the same thing, and then he comes back again to care for them. He's still extending grace, and as he comes back to them, it's the same result. Let's read. He finds them in the same condition. Let's read verse 39 to verse 40. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. But there is so much tenderness of our Lord Jesus Christ here. Because our Lord Jesus does not rebuke them. Instead, he just goes back to prayer. 
And then he comes back for the third time. And again, he finds the apostolic gang, the apostolic trio. They are back to sleep. They just want to sleep. Let's read verse 41 to verse 42. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The disciples now are, at the end of this episode, the disciples have let down Jesus miserably. They have failed him as a friend, and they have failed him as a lookout. They don't even see Judas and the mob coming because they've been sleeping. And as we think about the failure of the disciples, we realize here that the failure of the best friends of Jesus is teaching us that human company, even at its best, is not enough. It always comes up short. And this is something that we as a society, especially during the lockdown, are discovering only too well. As a society in recent years, we have been living in what some have called the age of loneliness. And we are discovering now that the lockdown is actually making us even more lonely, even more disconnected from one another, strangely enough. According to surveys published recently, for example, one survey published in March, just before the lockdown, it revealed that one in ten people experienced feelings of loneliness before the lockdown. One in ten. During the lockdown, it is now one in four adults. In fact, the statistics for the age group between the age of 18 to the age of 24 shows that loneliness has increased from one in six for the young people before the lockdown to one in two during the lockdown. Many of us find ourselves trapped, isolated, and very alone. Even though, even for those who are within families and they have human company. Because you see, loneliness is really not, a, not necessarily just having people around you. Every human being at some point of their life experiences loneliness. And this is true for those who are surrounded by people and those who are not surrounded by people. Loneliness is like allergies. It's not so much as I have it or I don't have it. It is better for us to see it as a continuum or a spectrum of severity. On the one hand, there is simply this feeling of unease because we feel alone at a given moment. Maybe because we are isolated physically from others, or perhaps because we've experienced some massive change in our lives. And at the other extreme, loneliness is a chronic state of emptiness that leads us to such despair that if the void itself, this empty void is not filled, it can even lead to suicide. 
And this void actually for many people is increasing because suicides are actually up in the Western world. You see, most of us, though, when we think about those two extremes, most of us are ex- experience moments that are in between those two extremes. We experience real and welcome feelings of being cut off from other people. And that's what's happening, really, in the country at present. One in four of us listening to this are experiencing loneliness. One in two of the young people listening to this experience loneliness. And we need to admit that this is, we may be one of those experiencing feelings of aloneness. And we need to admit this really and accept that it is hard for us to admit that. It is hard for us to admit that we are feeling Lonely because of the spiritual stigma around it. It's hard for followers of Jesus to admit this. Because you see, many followers of Jesus, many of us, feel like admitting that we feel alone is a sign of weakness or failure in life. We feel that there is something wrong with our relationship with God, that we need company. We need this company that's not being met by others. We feel we must be sinning somewhere, perhaps. Now, it's possible that sin does lead to some, 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 some effects, consequences that lead to severance of human company. But the feeling of loneliness in of itself is just a fact of life. We can feel alone. And we know that feeling alone is, is not a sin because we see here in Gethsemane our Lord Jesus himself is alone. And he has brought these friends in because he needs their company. He's checking up on them because he wants their company as well as he's encouraging them. And we know other people in the scriptures like Paul and Elijah. All of them, the great giants of the faith in scripture, felt many of them experienced this feeling of aloneness. It is normal to feel alone in this world. Why? Because human company is not enough. So let me ask you this morning. How are you doing really today? How are you feeling today? Are you experiencing feelings of loneliness? You may ask me, well, Chola, how do I go about really checking whether I may be feeling alone? Well, one way to do it is to look for subtle signs of that in your life. Are you always feeling alone? Are you always feeling a lack of sleep? Are you lacking in sleep? Because you see, there is a strong link between loneliness and lack of sleep. A 2011 research study concluded that lonely individuals do not sleep as well as individuals who feel more connected to other human beings. So one area you may look at is perhaps if you are lacking sleep at the moment. Another area you may want to look at is are you binge-watching shows? Studies shows tells us that loneliness and binge-watching TV are linked. 
This is a, this is, we also find similar evidence for social media addiction. Are you finding yourself that you need to be some, a lot online? Downloading an app which you can connect with people perhaps. So you need to ask yourself that. Do you consistently make mountains out of more hills? Again, people who are always stressed are more likely to suffer from some loneliness. Are you finding yourself that, yes, the shops are locked, are locked at the moment, some of them, but you find yourself that you are gravitating towards retail therapy? Or perhaps you're finding yourself drawn in certain programs that you wouldn't otherwise be drawn in. All of those are subtle signs of loneliness. Do not ignore them. I'm not saying if you do that, that means you're lonely, but the evidence seems to be quite strong in that direction. And what I want to encourage you this morning is, do not be ashamed of your feeling of aloneness. Rather, admit that you're feeling lonely, and face up to that. Bring that loneliness before the Lord. Because you see, unless we admit that we are experiencing feelings of aloneness, we won't benefit from our Lord Jesus Christ's central message in this passage. You see, the good news of Jesus in Gethsemane is that Jesus is the company we can depend on. The good news of Gethsemane is that God has stepped into our aloneness. God has stepped into our loneliness. We no longer have to go through loneliness alone. God offers himself in Christ to be with us in our aloneness. That's the good news of this passage. And that's our third point. The third point here is that Jesus is the company we can depend on. The first point is what? Everyone needs human company. But we saw that there is a but to that. But human company is not enough. That was the second point. But here is the good news. The good news of this passage is this. Because what is it? If human company is not the solution, what then is the solution? The solution is this. Jesus is the company we can depend on. Jesus is the fellowship we need is the fellowship we can truly depend on. And that's the third point. The good news, you see, of this passage is that Jesus is not a victim of aloneness. It's so important we understand that. Everything that's happening to Jesus in Gethsemane is not him being a victim. Jesus has willingly chosen to go into Gethsemane. He has willingly chosen to share in our loneliness in Gethsemane, in order that he may redeem us, free us from it. And we see this clearly towards the end of this account. Let's read verse 41 to verse 42 again. Verse 41 to 42 says this, And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The key phrase in that passage is the, is, is the word, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
What does Jesus mean by the Son of Man? Well, as we have seen, I've been learning in Mark, the title Son of Man means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And here in Gethsemane, our Lord Jesus uses this title deliberately. Jesus is saying, if you like, he is not simply suffering alone in Gethsemane by accident. Jesus is God who has freely chosen to put on our human flesh to live as one of us. You see, in Gethsemane we see two things. First, we see the perfect man, Jesus. He's being met with stone-cold silence from God. Three times our Lord Jesus prays to God and there is only silence. And we ask ourselves, what is that about? Why is there only silence from God? Well, it's about many things, isn't it? But one of the key things is that Jesus is experiencing our alienation as human beings from God. You see, sin has cut us off from our company from God. And Jesus is God wearing our human shoes in order to face the silence of God as one of us. In, and the second thing we see in Gethsemane, so we see that stone's caught silence from God. But in Gethsemane, we also see Jesus the perfect man reaching out to his friends. In this passage, we see Jesus offering them company. But how do they respond to him? They also just respond to Jesus with stone-cold silence. In fact, it tells us they did not know what to answer him. It says that in verse 40. And so as we think about the behavior of disciples and the behavior of God the Father, we actually see that from both sets, there is only silence. And in particular, the behavior of the disciples is showing us actually what sin has done to us as human beings. It has fractured human company. None of us are there for others as we should. But our Lord Jesus is not just in Gethsemane as God in our loneliness. Jesus is in Gethsemane uh, for us. He's not just taking on our loneliness, our alienation from God and alienation from others. Jesus is there really to take on this aloneness so that he could end it for us. He is there to end our aloneness with God and aloneness with each other. Jesus is experiencing this alienation in Gethsemane from God and human beings in order to, if you like, restore the relationship between us and God. And so we realize that Jesus has not been blamed by God for himself, but for us. God is silent to Jesus for our benefit. Because you see, if God ends the aloneness of Jesus in Gethsemane, we cannot be saved. If, if God answers that prayer of Jesus to remove the cup, if he responds to that, then of course there will be no salvation for you and I. We must suffer for our sins rather than Jesus. So we need God to keep remaining silent to Jesus. Because by doing that, Jesus then willingly goes to the cross and dies there to restore us to God. And that's what exactly happens. God remains silent before Christ. And Christ willingly takes on the silence of God and of others. 
In Gethsemane, Jesus is beginning to test the silence, the forsaking of God that will culminate on the cross. He is experiencing aloneness as one of us and for us. If you like, Jesus has come to be the mediator between God and us. And this is why we see Jesus in Gethsemane moving between God and the disciples. He's doing this dance, you know, where he goes to the disciples and then he comes back to God in prayer. He goes to the disciples and he comes back to God in prayer. What is that about? Well, to the disciples, Jesus is offering, is God offering us company. And to God, Jesus is our man standing in our place he, perfectly. He's doing what the disciples have failed to do. So in Jesus in Gethsemane, we see Jesus offering this what we might call a mediatorial company. The mediatorial company in his capacity as mediator, Jesus is, is ultimately standing in between God and us to restore our fellowship to God, to restore us back to the company of God, to take away our spiritual loneliness and for him to be there for us in all areas of our loneliness. You see, on the cross, Jesus did just that, isn't it? He died to take away our spiritual loneliness. He died to take away our sin that stood in between our companionship with God and with each other. And so actually, on the cross, Jesus deals not only with our spiritual loneliness, he also deals with our human loneliness. Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 16 says this. We read it, don't we? Ephesians 2, verse 13 to 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of command, commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The good news of Gethsemane is that God has come in Jesus to welcome us into his life, to have company with him and then with each other. The cross is the answer to our aloneness. The answer to our feelings of loneliness is not in ourselves. It is found only in Jesus. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. If we have Jesus, no matter how we feel, we are not alone. We may feel lonely, but we are not alone. We are not lonely because God is with us. In Jesus. You see, before God created you, he set his eyes of love on you. And when you are finally born, you arrived as a rebel against God. You are born in a human race engulfed by sin and rebellion. 
You are born cut off from the company of God forever. But God never gave up on you. He engineered a plan to win you back. He came in the person of Jesus and brought you to himself through his death on the cross. And if you're trusting in Jesus, you may feel alone in this broken world, but you are not alone because God lives in you through his Holy Spirit, through God the Spirit. You see, Jesus is always with you, God the Son, as your never-failing friend, as your protector, your strength when you're weak, your joy without end. Jesus is always your ever-present king. He's always your shepherd, your protector, your guide, your leader. He's your fountain of grace. He's your infinite source of love and mercy. And every day, our Lord Jesus, if you trust in him, is giving himself to you. Every hour in your loneliness, he's carrying all your burdens. Every minute, Jesus is caring for you in all your failures and sins. Every second, he is showering you with his love. He never gives up being with you. He never abandons you no matter how much you mess up. Just ask these disciples here. Look at how they have messed up. Look at the Lord's tenderness. Look at the Lord's love to Peter and James and John. Look how he sticks with them. Look how bravely our Lord Jesus so willingly goes to the cross, allows himself to be arrested. For who? For these failure disciples. And that's how much Jesus loves you. He tells you in Isaiah, doesn't he? I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He says to you in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, our Lord Jesus is not just with us today. He is with us forever. He will always be with us forever. He is bringing, if you trust in him, he is bringing you into his eternal kingdom safely. You are already in the kingdom, but he's going to usher you in into the new heavens and the new earth. You see, our comfort in, in our loneliness, when we feel alone, is that because we are in Jesus, God will not allow our faith and life to be shipwrecked. We will finish the race of life. So yes, you feel alone. Yes, sometimes you feel like God is silent. But we see in Gethsemane, beloved, God is most close to us when he appears most silent. So my brothers and sisters, as people we may feel increasing alone during this lockdown as it continues. But let us remember that we are not alone like those in the world who have no faith and relationship in Jesus. If you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, be assured that he is with you in your situation. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And most importantly, that he has placed you in his church to, so that the church could care and provide for you with all the spiritual support you need. So that means that even in your loneliness, you, there's no need to be ashamed of it. But rather you can, use, you can allow God to use your loneliness 
as a means to reach to enrich others. You can share where you're struggling so that God through the gifts he had deposited in the church could nature you and comfort you and of course direct it to you through the reading of the word and the preaching of the word and the work and ministry of the spirit in your life. So, if you're feeling alone at this moment, come to Jesus now. Lay your aloneness before him. Ask the Lord Jesus to help you to, to, to hand over your loneliness to him. Ask him to help you to rest and find comfort in him. And as I said, don't just go to Jesus alone. Share your struggles with us so that together as a fellowship, we can escort one another into his precious presence. Amen.